0: You can contact Casey at casey.burns at
1: primelending.com. Reach him by phone at
0: 919 710 1864. You can also check out all his reviews at com. Thanks, y'all. My throat's killing me. All
2: right. <laughs> I'm not so. saying a word.
3: <laughs> hey, everybody.
2: He's been, <laughs> he's been yodeling. Yes.
3: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast brought to you by Hunt Lift Eat Official. I'm Carter McKenzie with uh with a lively crew, a lively crew tonight. Looking forward to this one for sure. Um we got uh we got you know my 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 right hand, we got Bobby McCready here. What's going on, Bobby? What's going on, fellas? How are we tonight? <laughs> Good man, glad to have you on here. Once again,
0: I'm glad this is becoming part of our evening uh routine nowadays, you I'm- know. I'm also a little upset that you asked me to, for this episode because I'm like, hey, I heard the title, and you're like, hey, let me get Bobby on here. I was like, wow, what a dick, <laughs> dude. I
3: offended a, several people when I when I messaged yeah. and was like, hey, would you want to talk about this? I know you've like been getting your ass kicked, so
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks. What failure do I know?
2: Yeah, wow.
3: yeah, yeah. Before before we jump into it, let's inter- introduce our, our other guest here. We got uh, Rob Williams coming at us from Colorado. What's up, Rob,
2: gentlemen? How's everybody's night going so far?
3: Good, man. Glad to have you on here. Glad to finally make this happen. Um, fellow HLE team member here and uh, Colorado resident. Um, and uh, you have the voice for radio, Rob, not Bobby and I. You, you've got the, the smooth voice
2: for this platform. Well- from what I'm told, I have the face for radio and the voice um, to be gagged. So yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Thank, thank God. Uh, thank God on radio, no one can see you suffering. So yeah, there it is.
3: Heck yeah, man. Well, we're pumped to have you on here, man. Uh, been a long time coming, and uh, and we got Caleb Peace coming at us from the middle of the country. What's up, Caleb?
1: Just hanging out tonight.
3: <laughs> yeah. You uh, you know, this doesn't tie in with what we're talking about tonight, but uh, you were busy last night, yeah.:
1: Yep. finally got into one of my sweet spots. The wind was right, and then got a nice little nine-point with the crab claw at the end last night.:
3: Yeah, I was pumped for you, but I was also a little annoyed, so, and, and really jealous. <laughs> it stemmed from jealousy. The true colors of Carter.
0: I haven't amazing heard how that yet.
3: works. Yeah, I haven't hunted yet, man. I was, like, real jealous. Well, I went to
0: Hawaii. That was pretty cool. But I haven't hunted, like, here. Yeah, just traveled across the world and smoked a deer, but I haven't hunted (laughs) yet, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's something about big whitetail, man. But, yeah, so that doesn't
2: really... You're obviously in
3: Georgia. I am. Yeah, I'm in Georgia. Um, I actually bought a new bow right before. I sold my bow to a, a new coworker who wanted to get into archery you know the week before bow season of course and bought a new bow and just haven't had a second to breathe to get it tuned in so i just haven't hunted yet and our rifle season doesn't open up until the 22nd
2: and and you just made the point i mean yeah everybody's like hey it's september i'd love to get into archery and, and bow hunting and you're like yeah that should have been thought about in like march
3: yeah should, <laughs> should have done this about five months ago but i was
2: like you know what yeah like he's
3: fired up about it he wants to get involved like here dude you can have my bow like I don't care. All right, I'll go upgrade. Right. Twist my arm. I'll go upgrade.
2: Exactly. Well done. Yep. For <laughs> sure.
3: But yeah. So tonight guys, Rob, why don't you unveil kind of your, your, uh, mastermind plan behind what, what you want to talk about tonight? Cause I, I really liked, uh, your approach and I liked your suggestion a lot. Cause I think it's an important conversation.
2: Well, uh, um, first of all, gents, thanks a lot for having me tonight. Cause I know that, uh, We've been trying to put this together for a while. Last time you and I were scheduled to make this happen, um, I was on a motorcycle um, when I left the house. It was sunny and sixty degrees here in Colorado by my house, um, and when I got where I trying to get where I was going, going through the mountain passes, uh, it was snow and crying and wind and all that stuff, and I didn't make it over um the pass i was trying to get over so i didn't make it to gunnison um i was going for a fishing trip as a matter of fact so i'm glad that we were finally able to put this whole train wreck together and i'm excited to be a part of this gents um but then when you reached out to me just recently um and said hey you know we need to put something together um it was perfect because uh i had just not gotten the tag that i had put in for for the draw so i'm like hey we should definitely talk about failure because that's how I spend most of my time. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, well, and as hunters, I mean, and sportsmen in general, I mean, Hey, even if you walk into the river and spend all day up to your nuts in ice cold water and you don't catch a single damn thing, it's a better day than being sit parked in front of a desk.
3: Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, that's like a real saying. And obviously it's stuck around for so long because it's relatable. Right. And it's the truth. And I think a large part of hunting and, you know, I'm going to be doing like air quotes uh, around the word <laughs> failure throughout this entire episode, I think, because, you know, b- before we decide what failure is, we need to quantify what success is in hunting, you know, uh, which is complicated. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of different ways you can look at that. And uh, when you, when it comes to talking about failure, you're I mean, anybody who's hunted for a number of times or more than one season knows that you spend most of your time failing more than you do
2: succeeding. do mm-hmm. you guys agree? I agree completely. That's <laughs> a lot of nodding. Not a, <laughs> not a lot of guys. were are like, yes, I suck at what I do. <laughs> Nobody wants to fucking agree to that, <laughs> but it's the truth. It's, uh, I mean, if you're yeah. being up front, I mean, especially, I don't, I mean, the, depending on how new you are to something like this. I mean, I I have a friend, Justin, that says that he took his bow for a walk in the woods for five years. Yep. And just never got around to getting something, and and that's completely reasonable. Disappointing, but reasonable.
1: I come from a baseball background, so my favorite saying is baseball is about the only sport that there is where you can fail seven out of ten times and you're still doing a great thing. (laughs) and hunting goes right there in it there's always the times in the stand where you're not seeing anything or anything like that and you just blow something but then it's that learning experience
2: so let me paint the picture for archery elk season here in colorado um i have my best friend in the entire world his name is steve um he was my crew chief when we were deployed to iraq um he has come out here for the last four years to go elk hunting. If you know anything about hunting here in Colorado, if you're an out of state trying to get a tag, it's a $700 tag to get a non-resident elk tag here in Colorado. Um, this was the year. This is the, we, we stayed at a, at, a, at a lodge. We did all the right stuff. We you know found some old crusty dude who's like, yep, elk are up that way, boys. Just head right there and they'll be right there. And he was right. Always a trustworthy um, source. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. 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 I completely agree. Yeah. Um, depending on you know dust of on boots and sun weathered face, how old is the dude? And you know, d- is there a dog sitting on the porch next to him? Um, right, right. Yeah, it's exactly what I was looking for. Um, so yeah. So Steve finally gets his shot. He's sitting there with his back against the tree. Um, he goes to draw a bow. Life is good, um, and he lets arrow loose and bow hits his knee cam hits his knee string jumps off the bow arrow goes off into space um it's now six thirty-seven p.m and light is fading and he leaves for florida to go home 12 hours from now um you want to talk about a disappointed grown-ass man um i don't want to say there were tears but there were definitely some moist eyes
3: <laughs> could have been from frustration not just
2: sadness and knee pain from getting hit in the knee with a cam. <laughs> sure.
3: yeah, that'll, that'll whip any grown man's ass for sure. <laughs> yeah. And you're talking about a hunt that is for non-residents. I don't know about the statistic for residents, but you're talking a success rate of 9% yep. for arch- archery elk in Colorado. I mean, that's correct. Which is like always interesting because everybody's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go hunt Colorado this year because uh, they have over-the-counter tags, which like is a whole – that's a whole nother podcast. That's right a whole
2: nother episode. <laughs> yeah.
3: Jesus. It's like a whole th- – I don't even live there and I have strong feelings about it. But uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm going to go hunt elk with a bow and blah, blah, blah. And everybody goes there like wildly unprepared and like gets their ass smoked.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: that – that is failure for sure i mean that is 100% failure that is failure to plan that is fa- failure to prepare that is failure to shoot every day from you know at least march until september uh it is it is failure on a number of different reasons to practice you know i'm sure those a lot of those people don't practice you know gauging distances without a rangefinder and getting in shape and a lot of the things that You know, definitely need to be taken seriously when you're when you're on the mountain.
2: Well, combine that with you know you're coming from Florida, you know, three feet above sea level to, and then some jerk friend of yours takes you to ten thousand feet and pours whiskey down your throat all night. And then now you're hung over sitting against a tree while your fat bald friend laughs at you um, and your cam hits your knee. So, yeah, it's a really good time. It it sounds awfully uh, familiar there, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, I'm not trying to be specific or anything. I'm just spitballing here. It could be anybody. I also uh, I I hope Steve
3: (laughs) listens to this. I wasn't referencing Steve when I was just calling out all that bullshit. I was referencing the other. Hundred thousand individuals who come and hunt elk in, in Colorado. <laughs> not him personally. I just meant in general. I'm There's sure he's no, a great guy.
2: He uh, no, he's a horrible human being. It's what I love about him. Um, <laughs> that's why he's one of my best friends. Um, uh, uh, Let's to put it gently. I've been married for 26 years, and she says I'd rather you not play with him anymore. Um, but yes, he totally gets it. Um, but no, he was hyper prepared. There was no one that was is. He is a preparation guru. Um, uh, packed and unpacked his bag several times, shipped me a bunch of stuff. Everything was solar. Everything is prepped. Every battery is charged. Um, I'm the opposite of that. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I threw my rifle in the truck somewhere. Um, I, I might have brought an extra pair of socks if I go hunting and I only have one pair of underwear. Oh, well, whatever. I'll figure it out. Um, I, I am the underprepared guy. Um, but Yeah that's just, that's just my, I'd go up. That's just the fun of it for me. Um, he is over-prepared with checklists and, you know, a bag that's been packed several times and working out to get ready. And yeah, he shoots in the morning before we go up to the, up to the mountain, all that stuff.
3: And even someone who puts in that amount of work can still have, you know, um, a freak accident. I've never had a, a, a string jump, uh, jump a cam and, uh, you know, I'd be up a Creek if that happened to me on the mountain.
2: Well, I mean, we, we do carry, you know, bow repair kits, but I mean, when your string jumps a cam, there's really not, that's, that's a tough one that you need a vice for that. So yeah. And that's what we did. We came off the mountain, found a vice, put it back together, um, ch- again the next day, um, without success. But I mean, you are one gust of wind from your hunt, not being successful
3: yeah exactly and that's not insignificant especially when you know when you and i were talking before this happened like when you're talking non-residents it's not elk is not the most inexpensive animal to hunt regardless of what state you're looking
1: at and have you you chased elk in colorado last year was my first elk hunt ever up in colorado i uh, drew a special unit i believe it was zone 74 71 and got the Try that one for the first time, and like he was saying, if you're not ready for the elevation and everything, that first trip up on the ridge is going to humble you really quick.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And then you add the monetary value of of that tag, and you're really playing with you're you're playing a different sport for us East Coasters who come who come out there, and there you feel some pressure. I mean,
2: you feel some pressure for sure. Well, that's what he was saying is that, you know, his, you know, hey, you've jumped $700 on the tag every year to say nothing of travel expenses and costs and gas and everything, you know, renting a side by side if you don't have one and things like that. Um, And she's like, hey, sure would be nice to have an elk sandwich one day. Um, Yeah, she's not kind of feeling it right now that he's come home empty handed a few times. And I don't blame her. I mean, even, you know, my wife. Well, I mean, basically she's a widow from September to the end of November for hunting season. But um, <laughs> even she's like, you know, if I come home empty handed. So, you know, nothing again, huh? Uh, miss the family, you know, barbecue today while you were sitting out in a tree stand chasing deer on somebody's property. <laughs> hey, they don't, they don't have a whole lot of patience for things like for our failures, to be honest. And again, yep. one gust of wind and the whole thing changes.
0: Yep. As Derek would say, tag soup is what you're making. Coming yep. home with tag soup. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Tag soup. Yeah.
3: Nothing in the pot. Nothing in the pot. Caleb, you kind of a bulletin board
1: going with all my unused tags and if they are my reflection on get your crap together.
3: I do the same thing. I hang them in my shop. I hang every single one in my shop.
2: Now. Okay. Since we're talking about failure, is there one or two tags hung up or is there 10 tags hung up?
3: for me personally, I have one hung up. Um, I've got my mule deer from Wyoming last year hung up, which is a, uh, a heart wrenching story of failure for myself. It's a real bummer.
2: Wyoming's a beautiful state. Let's start there. What, 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 what tell us about your not making it?
3: Yeah, it is a beautiful state. I, uh, I dip my toes into Western hunting in that state. And so I've always felt a strong affinity for, for that state. Uh, my first Western hunt was, uh, antelope trip back in 2018. And then I went and chased mule deer the year after in a, uh, opportunity unit, relatively easy to draw and was successful. My first year, uh, a mix between preparation and being awful lucky. And I was, I was riding high. I was like, you know, I, I punch two tags on my first two Western trips. Like, come on, like life is good. And that's actually where I met Luke. Uh, Luke came out and hunted with me. Um, that first deer trip and he didn't get one. And my best friend didn't get a deer either. Uh, and I realized kind of the, the, the percentage, the success percentages are, are not to be taken for granted out there. They, the, the West doesn't give up animals easily. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a totally different ball game than here in Georgia. If you want to kill a deer in Georgia, you can kill a deer in Georgia at any time. It's, you know, the, the difference is like waiting for a specific buck or, or a specific, uh, you know, size class, which I guess people out West do as well. But with it being my first trip, I was like, Hey, let's let it rip. If it's, if it's legal and it makes me excited, I'm in, that makes me happy. Um,
2: that's and like so that's la- like antelope and <clears throat> that's like antelope in Wyoming. You can basically walk up to them and punch them in the face, right up until you have a tag in your pocket.
3: Exactly, and then they're the you know the fastest animal in the freaking world, and uh, <laughs> they want nothing to do with you.
2: Mm. I, I don't know how they can smell tags. It's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It's like it's the worst cover scent of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally have a herd of deer that walk through the front of my yard every morning at five a.m. Uh, my dogs go bananas every morning at 5 a.m. Um, and as soon as I put a tag in my pocket, um, I will never see a deer again. It's amazing <laughs> how that works. <laughs>
3: yep, absolutely. But it would also, it would cheapen the tag too, right? If you shot it in your backyard.
2: It, it uh, I, of- hey man, I'm just looking for putting something in the freezer. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I
3: am not,
2: I don't have a wall like you guys do with uh, all the antlers and stuff on it. I, I, I am an eater. That's it. I, I am not. I don't know. have any trophies. Well, that's a lie. I have my bear skin, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I don't have any trophies.
3: (laughs) That's legit. So that small mule deer I killed was, that was a trophy to me. Um, And I'm sure to a lot of folks that was wildly insignificant sized deer, Uh, but I was over the moon about it. So we went back this past year and uh, uh, it was a brutal hunt and we worked our asses off and I was far more prepared and um, had a great mentor and had studied immensely well, great mentor shout out to jake hacker um survived the hunt on instagram definitely check him out great dude and uh we were all squared away like all signs pointed to success and then um second to last day uh finally came across some bucks and made a play on him. And I think I rushed my shot and I ended up wounding this deer and not being able to recover it, which is anybody who's hunted for a number of years, um, will share that situation. Or at least I tell myself, everybody will share that situation. People have (laughs) felt that situation before, and it is the absolute most dog shit feeling in the world.
2: There, there are a few things that are more heartbreaking than not being able to find your animal.
3: Yeah yeah, it sucks. And uh, it's it's not a good feeling. It's not something to be proud of, especially when you're you're doing this thing that you love and you're passionate about. And, you know, it's, it's something I love more than just about anything in the world. And you can go from the highest high to I mean, it's a game of inches, right? I mean, not to overuse a, a cliche phrase, but I mean, it was that close, right? It was like that close to being the difference between another successful tag or wounding this animal and not being able to to find it um so that happened and i think it's important to talk about
2: oh i mean that 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 is crushing to you know put a bead on an animal you get down to where you shot see blood and then the next two days you can't find what it is that you've been looking for and there is nothing that lets the air out of your sails like that and as you're getting towards lunchtime on that second day you know it, it that's when it starts to really well up in you. And you're like, this might not go the way I had hoped. And this might be a very bad thing for me. And it sticks with you for a very long time. It
3: does. It actually threw me off for the rest of my whitetail season here back in Georgia. I think I think I was in my own head for the rest of the season because I was very hesitant to pull the trigger on a couple really nice bucks um, that I have on some properties I manage because I was totally in my head. It was a shot I'd made you know, dozens and dozens of times, 200 and, you know, somewhere between 200 and 250 yards, a a layup. And uh, I I had screwed it up in Wyoming and that was totally in my head.
2: I mean, and yeah, and you start to go home and now you're, now you're checking the rifle to make sure that, you know, nothing's wrong with the scope and checking the, your bow to make sure that everything is tuned and getting it retuned and going through each arrow and making sure, because now you're like, Hey, you know, what, what variables can I take away from this? A lot of what we do as hunters
1: is a lot of mental, like you're talking about Carter. And I had it right before I went up to Wyoming. I had my bow set up. I had it good. I was punching tacks. I went to do some fine tuning to it. All of a sudden a washer up top on it got loose and it would rattle every time I would draw and Knowing what I was about to go do, that thing screwed with me to the point where I could not get close to it after I made that fine tuned adjustment. And At that point, I had no faith in that bow. I couldn't shoot it, so I went and got another one real fast, tuned it up, everything was back good with it. I would still take that one bow and move over, shoot it, and I was as far off as I could be, and it was just that mental gap that just ruined me with that one
0: yeah it gets in your head and it eats at you man yeah i still remember the first year that i missed and it was actually the first year i ever shot at was the first year i missed and it's uh it's still burnt into me and i was 12 years old man and it's still i i think about it all the time constantly and i'm like god damn it Sometimes I'm like looking at a tree. I'm like, that's like the tree I sat in when I missed my first buck." <laughs> it always just comes back to you no matter what. It's just some stupid shit like that. PTSD. And man, that was Up a the trees. disaster of a trip too, man. It was probably it was probably actually <clears throat> the last time that I actually hunted with my dad. And I was 12 years old in Pennsylvania and we went with my dad and my uncle. And for, for months they would talk about this monster 10 pointer that they wanted to shoot off this property that they got permission for. And, And and being 12 years old and not really being a big hunter, I was always like, yeah, whatever, guys. All right, let's do something more fun. Like, I'm tired of filling corn. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of doing that. So they ended up putting me in a tree stand once and said, all right, we're going to go out opening day. This is a shotgun. I never shot a shotgun either. And, you know, this is me, little old me at 70 pounds probably with a fucking 12-gauge in my hand just sitting in a tree stand. (laughs) Never never did anything like this. This is my first hunting trip. And – and you know they put you in the stand because they're like listen we want the best opportunity to get this 10 pointer so you know they just put you in the back of the fucking field like hey yeah you just sit there something goes by shoot it like you're you're not going to get a chance but whatever
3: yeah we call that the gar hole that's the gar yeah
0: that's that's (laughs) where i'm sitting and uh i'm not gonna lie i passed out i was sleeping i was bored as shit i was 12 years old so i'm sitting there sleeping and next thing i know i hear something when i wake up and the buck is actually that they were talking about. The ten pointer was right underneath my tree stand, and I don't mean like three feet, five feet. I mean he is bedded underneath my tree, leaning on my ladder, and I'm nervous as hell. Never shot a shotgun before in my life, and I aim, and I'm ready to, to, to shoot. And here's the, the embarrassing part: I missed, and that thing was literally I could I could have dropped the gun on his head and probably knocked <laughs> him out, right? and I missed. So he he doesn't even get spooked. He gets up, he walks five feet and I can see where he's at. I'm like, all right, my ears are ringing, because I never shot a shotgun before. I don't have any earplugs in or anything. I'm like, I'm going to get another shot now. I ended up trying to get another shot, and it kicked me back a little bit out of the tree stand. The bullets ricocheted off a rock and actually hit my uncle's tree stand that he was in, and you could see where the the buckshot hit inside his tree stand. First time I ever went hunting, and then what dumbass me don't know anything better. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get a really good shot on the ground. This thing's only 10 feet away. I'm going to start climbing down the ladder. And that's when the deer ran away. Still think about it to this day. <laughs> Every detail is still, I could go to bed and just think of everything I was wearing, everything I
2: did, of everything about that day. First time I ever went hunting. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> that, that was like, what, 20, 30 years ago? And now, like, every time a brown F-250 drives fast you, you're like, oh, that's the same color as that buck that I <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's just haunting to you. I'm like, god damn it, man. And of course, you know, your family
0: members don't let you live that shit down. And your uncle's like, hey, remember that time you almost shot me and you missed a 10-pointer? I'm like, yeah, all right, <laughs> asshole, let's move past it.
3: Dude, that's a good point, because I didn't grow up hunting. I, I came into it at 18. And I was brought into it by a buddy who grew up in, you know, out here we got, uh, you know, hunting clubs and and deer clubs and things like that. And it's like a fraternity in and of itself. And it's a mix of families and it's, dude, they are savage, just brutal ragging on each other. When I, when he, when I first started like getting brought around, I was like, holy shit, are y'all related? Like y'all, this is merciless. This is like public school cafeteria like cutthroat shit like this is wild i wouldn't be able to i'm too sensitive man i wouldn't be able to deal with that shit
2: well i guess their attitude is i guess their attitude is they know that everybody's got a gun so you're gonna be polite yeah (laughs)
3: yeah Yeah, for sure man yeah we haven't bobby you and i haven't talked a lot about our past hunts together even
0: though we spend more time with each other than our wives Dude, I got more failures in the world than I've ever, and like, even things that aren't even failures that you just do that are stupid and small, that just piss you off and just turn into failures, like dropping a boot because you're trying to fix your sock, and now you're freezing your fucking ass off because you have one boot on, and like, hey, I'm not (laughs) gonna get down. (laughs) Like, like we've all done stupid shit like this, But, but let's face it, you have choices. You're either gonna ruin your hunt, get down, or you're gonna man up and freeze your fucking toes off, so guess what? Reason to toes off, we go. It's, <laughs> it's just a foot. got another. Legit, yeah. at
1: that moment last night, climbing up in my stand, Bobby, I was three-quarters of the way on my last tree step, and I dropped my pull rope. For your bow? Yes. I dropped <laughs> it, and I was like, I'm almost up here. Why? How? How was I that stupid to drop the pull rope, and now I have to climb down and grab it toss it through the tree again and then climb all the way back up and
3: you're i'm sure you're thinking every deer you know within a you know mile radius just heard me and i just made more noise and doubled the noise that i needed to and there's no way i'm gonna say anything tonight
1: exactly i had already bumped a couple of them out and i'm like of course i'm trying to rush to get up here and now i'm going to take another 10 minutes to climb down and get everything back up and then not even get set up in the stand yet
2: isn't it amazing that's- how much you'll hurry to to sit and wait? And you're like you said, I, I gotta take a whole nother 10 minutes. Man, you got a whole evening ahead of you <laughs> and you're like worried about 10 minutes.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. And maybe that's something we should talk about. You know, as we've progressed through and like grown into this whatever passion, obsession, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what are some lessons that you guys have learned from failures? Like, you know, slowing down Caleb, you just mentioned and and Rob, that's like, that's a massive one. And that took me a long time to learn. That took me a really long time to learn. I used to like hustle my ass off and I've, it sounds like I kind of am like you, Rob. I, uh, I don't know if you lose things, but I lose everything fucking six times when I hunt and, uh, I'm just a disaster when it comes to organization. And I just like. I just have shit everywhere and I'm just like always kind of a mess. It like really stresses people out that I hunt with. (laughs) That's just like kind of how I am. But like slowing down is definitely a big lesson that people have picked up on.
0: Hey, everybody, we'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast sponsor, Ratgetter Sense and Lures. Like Hunt, Lift, Eat, Ratgetter Sense is a veteran owned and operated company with a personal touch. Gerard, their owner, is a former Marine and firefighter who will walk you step by step through the buying process with a personal touch. I reached out to him and he gave me his personal cell phone number and walked me through his products, and the buying experience could not have been more efficient. My favorite product of his is the Hot To Trot Dough and Heat Scent, and I use it religiously through the rut with consistent results. Many of our Hunt Lift Eat team members are loyal customers of Rackgetter Scent and Lures, and we use his products year after year to help them execute in the field. Follow them on their Instagram at RatGetterSense 2.0 and check out their products at RatGetterSense.net to start luring in your next big buck.
2: So a couple of years ago, I'm hunting in Gunnison, Colorado with my buddy, Brian. And uh, he's the guy that actually taught me to hunt. Um, He's a great guy. He's a guide in Gunnison. Uh, He guides um, uh, fly fishing trips. And um, so I get my elk and we divide it up and we quarter it all up and life is good. And we're putting it on backpacks and hanging the rest from trees. And now it's like nine o'clock at night and it's frigid in October and in, in the mountains. And, um, so we're starting to walk out. Uh, well he goes to put his headlamp on and his batteries are dead. Okay. Well, it happens the best of us. Um, so we're walking out a little bit and he's out front. And, uh, so I said to him, I'm like, Hey Brian, you know, do you, you want to use my headlamp since you're out front? And as those words leave my mouth, I trip over a rock and never put my hands out and face plant the dirt hard. <laughs> and all I hear out of the darkness is no, you go ahead and keep that. And I, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the support, bud. Really appreciate it. <laughs> so yeah. Headlamp batteries. I carry extras with me at all times now because <laughs> bloody noses hurt. <laughs> yep.
3: Yep. I always carry two headlamps and two releases. I've lost a release while hunting. I always carry really? two now. Oh my gosh, dude! But like I said, I fucking lose everything, man. I bring three toothbrushes on every hunting trip. It's a disaster. Have How you lost a release?
0: Did you lose a release? Isn't it it strapped to your fucking wrist? <laughs> so I set it down to. So we
3: were hunting public here in Georgia, uh, like a. Back country, I mean, I, you can't really call it that, but like three day, like public land hunt here, and we like sat down in the middle of the day to stop and like eat, stop and get a bite to eat at the top of a ridge, uh, get some water and eat some sandwiches that we packed, and I set my release down, I like took it off and set it down, and then we got up and went on about our way, and I didn't have a fucking release for the rest of the entire trip. Oh
0: my god.
3: Dude, brutal. Ever since then, I carry two releases. I always carry a backup, and also it makes sense because like it's it's one more point of failure. Like a release only works like if it works. So like, of course, you need to carry two of them. And if, that was something I just would have never ever thought about until I lost well, one.
2: Well, and and no one listening to this will take that advice until they leave their release <laughs> yeah, in yeah. the woods. Exactly. Have you have you
1: done that, Caleb? Has that happened to you? That has happened with me, and that is why the Scott rep loved me for a period, because I was using the grip dual caliper release, and I would leave one in my truck and then get all the way down to my stand and then have to march my happy rear back up to the truck, grab the release, and then back down I would go. So then there was about five of them in the house now, two of them in the backpack, one of them always in my pocket throw the laundry into the washer and hear that clanking because the release is still in the pants that I forgot to grab.
2: <laughs> what I just learned That's is you wash your hunting guy. pants. That's impressive.
0: Zinc yeah. <laughs> control is major for <laughs> me. <laughs> I just put them in the ozone closet and just turn the button on and say, yeah, you're good
2: enough. That's it. <laughs> I, I yeah. hang them on the back fence in the backyard and let the rain wash them.
3: I do too. I hang them on my bushes. Yep.
2: Throw them in the cedar tree
1: after you're done with that. Yep.
2: Yeah.
3: What else? What other failures have led to some revelations in your approach
2: to hunting? I was deer hunting, uh, last year in Elizabeth, Colorado with three friends. Um, obviously oddly enough, one of them, a, an army retired army sniper. Um, and uh sure enough five deer come walking across the uh the field um everybody gives the countdown we're all going to shoot on three um we're all going to drop our deer and you know count down pull the trigger um and the only deer still standing was my deer and he's looking at us and waving at us and they're like hey why the hell are my friends dead what just happened <laughs> and uh my buddy mike starts laughing he's like take another shot there sharpshooter and uh take another shot and the deer's like what the hell the mosquitoes are huge around here and uh i'm like i'm not sure what's going on and he's like here try my gun and so i take his gun i pull the trigger and then drop my deer uh come to find out that i didn't realize that my optic had failed on my rifle yeah talk about and it's you know we all, you know, we were used to having backup iron sights on on rifles that we're used to, but, you know, not on your hunting rifle. And so, yeah, there was no way for me to fix that. So, yeah, come and, you know, come to find out that the optic had just failed. So, That's a but great nobody, point. Nobody carries an extra scope in their pocket, though.
0: <laughs> no, Carter no. does. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if, if money wasn't an object, I would because this last trip we did in Wyoming, we went through some really rough stuff in the bighorns and my rifle. I let, uh, well, it doesn't matter. I let another one, another person in our company carry my rifle and it got banged around a little bit. And, uh, I kind of feel like it was off cause it got banged around pretty good. And, uh, you know, if, if money was no object, I, I certainly would, right? Because I conveniently missed my deer the next day. Maybe I'll be thinking about that for the rest of my life. Hmm. That
2: poor person.
3: <laughs> He's also a member of the Lifty team, so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, does anybody take with them a spare rifle that just stays in the truck just in case their rifle fails? Or bow? I do keep a second bow with me.
3: I know Luke does. Luke brings two rifles uh, when he when he hunts. I it's tough when you fly, when you're doing these non-resident hunts and you're flying. It, it leads to more logistical issues, but
0: I could totally see why that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I'm bird hunting, I bring an extra gun. But when I'm actually like deer hunting, I don't have an extra bow anymore. I actually mm-hmm. gave it to my brother. That, that's his main bow now. So,
3: dude, that's a good point because. I was, uh, I coach our sporting clays team for our our high school and I was shooting with my kids in a a competition two weeks ago in my shotgun that I've had since I was 18. So it's, it's getting up there in age. It jammed like, I don't know, nine times out of a hundred rounds, uh, which is massive. Like that's, that's huge. Like that shouldn't happen. But I've also like abused and beat the shit out of this rifle for 12 years and, uh, I actually had to shoot one of my kids very nice Berettas, which was fantastic, <laughs> uh, but I could totally see why if you were a bird hunter, you would bring a bonus rifle and keep it in the truck or something like that in case that was happening. Cause that's miss birds, man. That's, that's less, that's less meat. That's less, you know, oh, yeah. success, that's less everything or less for you, Bobby. That's less, uh, your dogs get to work and, and like do their thing that you've been training for all year. So,
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And it's funny because now that I have three pointers, I joke and say, I got a backup dog when one of them's not hot. I'm like, "Ah, (laughs) put him on the bench, coach, and fucking bring another dog out because, you know, hey, you never you never know. Some of these trips, you know, you're going far. Some of these trips, you know, and especially I bring a backup gun because I've had issues in the field with a gun. And, you know, that's how you have two releases. Now I have two guns and three dogs. Oh, and 100% three dogs. That's exactly why
2: that does that work with wives. No, forget it. (laughs) No, No, I'm not moving to Utah. Forget it. Not not worth your time. (laughs) I mean, so Wyoming, that is a beautiful state. I, I have yet to hunt in there, but uh, that is just. I mean, it is a, a sportsman's paradise. There's no other way to describe it. From the southern Colorado border to the northern Montana border, it's just a beautiful state.
3: Yeah, it really is. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And uh, I don't like – I'm not a big fan of people, and neither is Wyoming. And so like, I feel a natural affinity to Wyoming because I, I actually used to live in Colorado, Rob. I used to live in Evergreen. I grew up there as a boy. Beautiful and, town. Uh, yeah, it's a great town. Yeah, and now I'm sure the population has – quadrupled in, in size since, you know, the 1999. Uh, oh yeah. 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 And I, everybody's got I, a Texas I, I, and
2: California license plate.
3: Yeah. As has the entire state. Um, but Wyoming is not a lot of folks there. I love it, man. There's animals everywhere. Great hunting. Well, nice it
2: caught folk. my attention that you said that you coach the high school shooting team. That's kind of cool. I didn't realize it was just, you'd never get away with something like that here in Colorado.
3: Yeah. And you know, where I teach, it's actually really surprising that it's a thing because I teach kind of in the suburbs of Atlanta and uh, in a very affluent community, and most of these kids had never shot a firearm before. Um, yeah, so I was surprised that they even wanted to, but I was super on board with it. It was awesome.
2: That's extremely impressive. Uh, there needs to be more of that.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been really rewarding teaching, you know, gun safety and it, teaching a lot of things that that I wasn't taught and had to learn either through. Um, very kind and patient mentors or through trial and error, through failure in hunting uh, as someone who started hunting later in, in their life, because um, I didn't, I didn't grow up doing it. So I've, I've failed most of my hunting like career or whatever you want to call it.
2: Well, I'm guessing those kids will never shoot at their uncle while they're supposed to be shooting at a deer and a tree stand. No See, kidding. This is, this is how
0: shit comes back. This is how <laughs> shit comes back right here. Isn't,
2: isn't that how professional comedians do it? They bring it all the way back around to the beginning.
0: <laughs> that's, called a,
3: that's called a callback. Excellent work. Well
0: done. Sorry, right, My buddy still sent me pictures of trees and be like, is this the tree that you were sitting in when you missed that block?" And shit,
2: <laughs> 12. I was fucking 12. <laughs> He's taking an ax to it. I'm going to get this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I hate Perfect. trees for the rest of my life now. <laughs> Cheering on forest fires in, in Yellowstone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Burn, baby! <laughs> <laughs> now that you killed
0: a
3: very nice whitetail last night, Caleb, I don't feel bad saying this because there won't be as much sting, but tell us about getting your ass kicked in Wyoming this year with your
1: elk Wyoming, you said it lightly, kick my rear. Because <laughs> I was up there... For 13 days in a campsite on the side of this mountain. I got rained on four times, got sleeted on three times, and then got snowed on one time. And there was not enough warmth in the sleeping bag to get me back to where I needed to be. But what kept me going was I kept seeing some elk in this location. And I probably, total, I probably did about 40 or 50 miles towards the end, I started saying closer to camp, but it seemed like every time that I was that inch or foot away from getting a shot at an elk, something would happen. It would move. It would, my thermals would change. Uh, they would stop calling one night. I had a cow at 50 and I saw a couple spikes falling on her. So I was going to wait for the spike and she went straight at 50 through an opening. I had my bow drawn. And then of course the spike just went to the back and then circled around at a range. And then a couple days later was in a pine tree. I was hearing bugles all around me and I was like, okay, this is going to be the morning that something is close and I'll be able to adjust to them. And I barely looked to my right and there's a, five by five standing on the other side of this pine and won't clear a couple trees. And then of course I'm there with a bow, a absolute monster comes out at a hundred yards and then just walks back. And I'm talking about failure. This was where I was green as a Western hunter. I should have taken after him. I should have gone over to where my thermals and my wind were, out of his favor and just followed him, but I was kind of used to whitetail here in Oklahoma, where well, you let them circle back. You don't try to push them, you don't try to pressure them, and then that's going to be my hunting factor. Of I saw this giant elk to my standards, at least, and then my brother, of course, got to go up there this past week and he harvested one after using all my waypoints, which I'm glad that he he did but that that was in my head too is if I would have waited for gun season then I would have had one in the truck and we would have been done early but it was one of those I wanted the challenge of the archery I wanted to go up first I wanted to find this area out first time in Wyoming and I went to the school of hard knocks on Okay, let's find the places where I need to be. Where might there not be any hunters? Will I be in some hunters? Will my calls be getting responses from elk or what it is? And it took me a full week before I finally had responses from elk up there. They weren't responding to cow calls at all. And it was just bugles that they were responding to and finally had had to completely adjust my style of walking around. It wasn't doing a cow call every 30, 40 yards seeing if something wouldn't respond. It was, okay, I'm going to wait for this morning when they're firing off and do a few bugles to see if I can locate one. And I've heard a mature bugle. His voice was just completely different and i was upwind from him i was in the clear and then the wind stopped blowing he's calling back at me and then all of a sudden he goes silent and i get my wind checker and i give it a couple puffs and my thermals are going right down the trail that i was following to him and it was just one of those little things that i don't think much of down here was like what Rob's been saying, that one moment where it shifts and that morning hunts pretty much done.
2: Time to crack open little Debbie snacks,
1: get the little Debbie's get the cookies kind of curl <laughs> up in the mummy bag and just kind of eat the sorrows away. <laughs>
2: it's gotten me through several marriages. Um, Might be whiskey uh, time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do any of you hunt with a buddy like do you or do you are just a soul hunter? Oh, yeah. Like, So what's my buddy Steve and I were trying to do this past time is, you know, hey, I'm going to sit there and and call them and let them come past me in, right into his evil little trap that he's got set. Um, and we saw how that ended for him. Um, but yeah, so, Caleb, I'm guessing you were hunting by yourself at that point
1: yes sir i was up there trying to do a solo so i definitely learned quite a bit off of that that's got to be tough that's some work right there that one that was that's what i learned the most of is you have to call to try to get them in but then they're gonna know exactly where you're at when you're Mm -hmm. hitting those cow calls or those bugles and so even though i was trying my hardest to get that big bull to close the distance to where I might get a shot. He turned around and he was facing me, but he didn't like where I was, so that's where he just went up into the burn. And then, of course, I had the honor of hearing him absolutely destroy a tree (laughs) uh, 200 yards away from me and doing his deep chuckle. And I will never
2: not hear that now.
3: (laughs) Adding insult like Bobby, to
2: injury. It's like Bobby in the Brown Trees. <laughs> that's going to well, be our tag title for this one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and Caleb, I mean, you know, those solo hunts like that, that far back. And, and there's some rough country in very rough country there in Wyoming. Um And once you get an animal down, you know, that's when the actual work starts. And a, a solo hunt. And now you're. You know, last time I got an elk, it took me two days to get everything out of the woods. Um, If you're doing it by yourself, man, I can't even begin to imagine the amount of work that goes into now taking a bull elk out of the mountains of Wyoming by yourself. Damn, son.
1: There was one area that I was in that I was about probably four or five miles from where my trucking camp was, and it hit me when I was coming back because it was about 39 degrees. I was up in the clouds all day long, and I was just like, this would be a brutal trek out. No matter how good of shape I think I'm in, I'm going to die on this exit.
3: Yeah, and looking at it from, you know, cert- certainly when you solo hunt, failure can be looked at as a success, right? Because if you're, if you're any decent at Hunting at all, you're going to learn from every failure that you make, right? Um, and when you're looking at it from that point of view, man, like what was your kind of your
1: biggest takeaway doing this solo? Going solo, and I talked with fellow team member Gabriel about it. We him and I both kind of agree that one of that big bull that I saw was probably one of the most mature ones that were on that mountain just. what I was explaining to him how he was acting and how his calls were and that was my biggest takeaway was this is my second year going out west the first year I didn't get any responses back in Colorado I didn't see an elk or even get a response in Montana besides the giant private greenfield that had over 120 elk just laying out in it at noon Uh, so with wyoming getting to hear the bugles getting to get a response by myself without somebody else kind of taking taking my hand and doing the calls while i'm hunting it was a lot of knowledge that i gained on that trip where yeah i didn't get one on the ground but i was in elk pretty much every day and i was getting responses i was getting them to turn i was getting some of them that probably had never been seen on the side of a mountain out there in the open. And I took that as my win.
3: Yeah, that's huge, man. And I'm glad you got to talk to Gabe because one, he's an absolute killer and a good dude. Uh, but you know, he, he called me when uh, twice this season, when he was getting his ass kicked too, I think he just wanted to talk it through with somebody. And, uh, you know, he ended up killing an absolute giant with his bow, and then he killed an absolute stud of a mule deer last week. But Bobby and I kind of had the pleasure of having a cool conversation a couple nights ago with uh, another team member named Eric Larson. Um, mm, who, Eric's a homie of mine. Yeah, Eric's a good freaking dude,
2: man. Uh, and an he, excellent hunter.
3: Yes, and he, he oh, told yeah. us about his that bull he killed uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, that, that giant elk that he killed in Montana. Um check it out on his Instagram. I think it's training for the hunt. Um mm-hmm. and he had a really cool perspective on kind of what it ties into what you were talking about, Rob, with like your buddy Steve, and when the failure is happening, when you're not being successful and you're just getting your ass kicked, and that that doubt starts to creep in, and maybe you're getting towards. The, the finite end of your hunting trip. Right. And it's it, tags aren't being filled and maybe the the elk aren't cooperating or you can't find deer or they're all on private or whatever it may be that starts creeping in, in the back of your mind. He kept talking about how important it was that his hunting partner kind of pulled him out of that. Um, and that mindset is like a massive part of the success portion of, of hunting right so i don't know i thought that was really cool bobby didn't you
0: oh yeah and you know when he was talking about that i don't know if you remember but i thought back of how i was having that miserable turkey hunt and i was i was like this isn't gonna happen i'm fucking done this last day this is this is bullshit and i ended up calling my wife talking to her on the phone it's like finally got cell phone service and she goes you need to manifest the turkey she's like you gotta think positive you gotta keep your head right and everything and that's where that title came from when we were talking about Manifesting a turkey so that that morning we woke up we said hey man 10 o'clock we're gonna be at the fucking town diner we're gonna be eating some eggs and we're gonna have two dead turkey in the back of our truck and sure as shit we manifested the turkey because our headset was right and i was like this is we gotta start doing this more
1: yeah that was exactly what happened last night on the whitetail hunt because i'm shutting down our shop my brother messaged me i shot one I'm on my way to the property, I'm like, you know what? The wind is supposed to shift here. I'm going to this stand. And it was one of our best stands, and I ended up getting that claw buck that was on our hit list. And it was just one of those, I knew that would be special, because usually when my brother kills something, I kill something, and we share in that celebration together. Mm -hmm. And This time we were 18 hours apart, but he was harvesting his first elk and I was harvesting my first good buck in the last couple of years.
3: Yeah, it's really important, especially like once you start doubting yourself and like, I mean, you guys have all experienced it and listeners have probably experienced it too. You can take yourself out of the game for sure. I've done that before and like, oh, it's not going to happen tonight. There's no way like it's done. And you take yourself out of the game. And then, right, without fail, <laughs> something will show up and then you're unprepared, right? You're caught off guard, which is another really important lesson. But having a good hunting partner to kind of pull you together and be like, no, 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 no. Shake it off. Like, get it together. We're here to hunt, right? We're, we're, we're out here. Weather may be terrible. It may suck. You know, your buddy Steve, Rob, may be like, you know, I'm getting smoked from zero you know, zero feet, sea level to, you know, 10,000, but you know, we're, we're here to hunt. So let's get after it. I think that's like invaluable to have.
2: Even more valuable is the point that Bobby made is that he was able to pick up the phone and be like, you know, Hey honey, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to pack it in a little bit early. You know, we haven't seen anything. I'm going to come home. And she's like, the hell you are. Mama's hungry. You're, you're going to yeah. fill the freezer. So Absolutely. yeah it's nice to be able to have, the, and there's only thing better than that phone call is the phone call to a friend. Hey man, I put one on the ground. Um, you know, I'm about to start carving and, uh, yeah, you know, that friend is jumping up and down in a lowest parking lot and it, it's super amped for you. Oh
0: yeah. yeah. Without a I mean, doubt. Carter, I, was ha- Carter was happier. I got my Turkey than I was. So oh,
3: I was yeah. about to say that. I was like, <laughs> I was more amped for Bobby's, uh, Turkey and like, scotty's uh you know pig that he shot with a bow a couple weeks ago and and caleb's or caleb's deer and i get more pumped when people are successful than my own man it just makes me it's the best because i've been there man i've been there where it sucks and you know, i've been there when it, you, you you doubt everything and it's part of the process and you got to work through yeah. that
2: well and, and like i said you know eric and i have been friends for years we used to go to the same gym together and um and yeah i mean. So, you watched his Instagram from March through September, where Homeboy's running the stairs and doing all the stuff he's got to do and putting all the prep time in and doing all the work and things like that. How can you not be happy for someone when they're now the next Instagram update is them with a, a set of horns in their hand?
3: Yeah, because you deserve Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That dude's also a freaking animal, like, as a beast.
2: I want to be here. I know. Whenever. I hate him.
3: Yeah. <laughs> When I grow up. Be
2: <laughs> <him>. <laughs> so my very first big game hunt in Colorado was probably six years ago or so. Um, and it was going with my army buddy uh, Jake and we went to Glenwood Springs, Colorado um, and we were got uh, bear tags and uh, I, I never hunted before, got a brand new rifle. I mean still got the sticker on the stock. and uh, we hunt for five days all over Glenwood Springs. Uh, with no luck. Okay, cool. Um, well, we're going to try someplace else the next, the last day. Um, we're walking up the trail and there's just bear sign everywhere. Trees are ripped to shreds, bear poop everywhere. Um, life is good. I'm like, dude, I'm going to go find a tree. I'm going to go sit against the tree and I'm going to wait for Yogi to go walking past me. And he's like, well, I'm going to walk up the, uh, the trail a little further and I'll do something similar. Okay, cool. Um, crack open my little Debbie fat boy cake, uh, shove that thing down. <laughs> And uh, as I'm crinkling up the wrapper and putting it back in my pocket, here comes Yogi walking down the trail. Um, So I pop Yogi, life is good. Um, And then it occurs to me that I don't know how to clean an animal like this. And I want, all I want is a rug. All I wanted was a bearskin skin rug. I told my wife all the time, I'm going to get a bearskin skin rug. I'm going to come home and we're going to have sex on it. She's like, not together. We're not. And um, (laughs) so I, So what I had to do, because I didn't know how to, to skin a bear, I gut it and cleaned it as much as possible. And then what I did is I basically squat clean that thing onto my shoulders and I start humping this thing out of the woods. I love the face you're making right now. Caleb, And I'm now walking with a bear over my shoulders out of the woods and about a mile into my walk back to the truck. I'm like, oh, holy shit. What if another hunter sees this bear walking through the woods and decides to take a shot? So I stop, set it down. I put my orange vest on the bear and I squat clean it again back onto my shoulders. And I come start walking back up the trail. Well, my buddy Jake comes walking up the trail and he's all he sees is a pair of man legs with a bear on top of it. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I didn't know how to clean this thing. I was waiting to run into you so you could show me how to do this. And uh, so, you know, so I could have my bear skin rug. He's like, I wish you could have seen what I saw from 400 feet away as this bear is just wandering through the woods on man legs. He's like, I finally found man bear pig. There it is. I love that Bobby can't breathe.
1: <laughs> All I'm thinking of is a scene from super troopers. Excuse me, bear humper. That is yeah,
2: it's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. That's what it looked with, like. That is exactly with the vest and everything. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Why is that bear wearing your orange vest? He's like, Where are the game wardens when you need them?
3: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. What a great movie. Damn. You should have walked out and got
0: picnic. Yeah, seriously. Got any picnic baskets? I'm looking for here?
2: <laughs> Caleb just passed out. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, it made perfect good. sense in my head when I was exhausted on a Friday at the end of a hunt.
3: Well, all, all rules, all bets are off when you got to get it done, man. The pack out's a pack out.
2: Yep. Needless to say, I've never had sex on my bearskin skin rug. Well, it's not with anyone. But well, the bear have-
0: had sex with you while you were kind of <laughs> watched, <so> technically.
2: <laughs> it did. Kept hit- touching me inappropriately. Just to be clear. We have hope for you, Rob. There's still time so does the bear
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah well this has been really great guys this has been a awesome conversation we're rolling up on an hour here um, I think this is a really important conversation
2: uh, so Rob thanks for thanks for making this happen man no thank you for the invite man I'm, I'm glad we we're finally able to put this the whole thing together but let's get to the important part of the conversation gentlemen. Caleb, yeah. what are you making?
0: Yeah, what sandwich are you making right now? <laughs> I'm actually making some deer tacos. From last night? Oh. Uh, one of the ones that I'm having to clear
1: out. Nice. <laughs>
3: He's got to right.
2: make room in the freezer. That's awesome.
1: That's
3: good. See, we cut can, it-
2: look at that happiness on that man's face. How can you not be happy for him?
1: He's a happy guy. He's always happy. <laughs> When it comes to food, I am incredibly happy. I'm going <laughs> to fry up the tortillas real nice-like. <laughs>
3: we've, we've covered the hunting. We've covered the lifting with uh, with Rob's uh, bear clean and jerk. And then we've uh, covered the, the eating with Caleb's tacos. So <laughs> we're in business.
1: We're in business. Yeah, this has if, been great. It's the full circle like we were talking about earlier. absolutely
3: absolutely yeah failure in hunting man super important thing to talk about and not something to shy away from even though i think a lot of people do um things go wrong it's a high stakes it's a high stakes endeavor and you know things can go wrong And i think the really important thing is learning from those mistakes
2: it's always going to happen you're going to be unsuccessful more often than you're going to be successful so it's important to keep it in, in mind and fishing yep, and hunting and everything.
3: Yeah. And it's kind of the beautiful thing that makes the success that much better. Right. Maybe that's what keeps us coming back is the high percentage of quote unquote failure. Uh, those successes are high highs, man.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah if you hunted,
2: did... That's how you learn. Yeah. If all we hunted was beef cows, I mean, it'd be pretty boring, wouldn't it?
3: <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. This has been good.
2: Um, yeah, let's go
3: around the horn here. See if anybody has any, uh, any closing thoughts for us before we, before we jump off here, Caleb, we'll let you get to your, your tacos, man. What do you, what do you got for us,
1: man? Pretty much. It's kind of like what we've covered so far is everybody fails. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Every failure is an opportunity to learn from it. Most failures are how I've had better hunting seasons at the end of it, because, Something happens at the beginning of the season. I mentally block myself and say, this is not going to happen again. And I go through so much repetition after that, that it is done. And then the exact same scenario happens later in the season. And then I'm successful at that point as instead of walking back with a tag sandwich. Well said, man.
2: Rob, what do you got for us? Um, you know, like I said, I, you know, it's already been said a couple times throughout the, after the evening, you know, you're, you're going to fail, uh, accept that, um, but learn from it and make it a part of, you know, you know, the stories as you can, that you can tell others, make them lessons that you can, that you can tell other people. Um, and most importantly, uh, team hunt, lift, eat, um with your podcast and what you guys are doing and the team that you guys have put together. Um, it's a very powerful thing in hunting and you're doing a good thing for a lot of other people. Um, don't ever stop what you're doing. Uh, it, it's do, You're doing good things for, for, especially for people that want to get started in this. Um, you're doing great things. So keep it up.
0: Hell yeah. Bobby? Yeah. I mean, I, the biggest thing is not to beat yourself up over your mistake or failure that you did. I mean, I, I know like me personally I have like bad anxiety so if I forget something I think my trip's ruined or I think like this is gonna fucked up and you gotta you gotta learn to just relax and chill and even when I leave my house you know to go to work I'm always I always say the same words over and over again I say phone wallet keys just so I don't forget those fucking three things and I'm always <laughs> doing it every goddamn day and you gotta do that when you go hunting you gotta be like hey bow release something else you know like you gotta have your rhythm and you'll get into it for sure yeah. I think as long as everybody keeps learning from their failures, it's
3: gonna to lead to even more successes in the field. And that's why we all keep doing it. That's why we keep coming back to it. Um yeah, for sure. Keep failing, everybody. It's part of the process, right? are <laughs> part of the sport. <laughs> it's kind of what makes it great. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us tonight, you guys. This was this was a blast. What a great way to round out a, a Thursday here. This is this has been good. Yeah. Rob, thanks for jumping on, man. We're uh I'll have my people, which means Bobby stay in contact <laughs> and uh, let's do another one, man. This is good. This is good
0: Absolutely, yeah, for,
3: for sure. And then Caleb, we'll get you on, uh, you know, one of the next episodes of uh, success in the field for our HLE team members who have uh, crushed it and been successful so far. Sounds good. All right, man, Rob, where can, uh, where can folks find you on social media and go ahead and plug your, your show so people can check it out. Oh,
2: that's very generous of you. Thanks, man. Um, (laughs) well, so I, you know, like Carter was saying, I run a not for profit, uh, aimed at the veteran community. It's called about face radio. Um, basically we take veterans who are going through the transition process from the military and first responders as well. Um, and we give them an opportunity to, uh, tell their story. We give them a microphone and a radio and a, and a laptop and we tell them, Hey, here's the, here's the platform, get on the radio and start talking and tell your story and let it go. Um, my radio show is called, uh, from the ashes. Um, and it's on Monday nights from 6 PM to 7 PM Colorado time. Uh, you can find us on all the grams and all the Facebooks and things like that. And I am at Caduce C A D U S E on Instagram, uh, only because I spelled Caduce wrong. Um, it's supposed to be, you know, a do you know what a Caduce is? I don't. It's that medical, wondered. it's the staff and the snake and the Eagle that the medical symbol, See, that's and why I, I I need Derek because he would know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, yeah. Uh, by all means, listen listen to About Face Radio and listen to uh, From the Ashes on Monday nights. I appreciate you letting me get make that plug.
3: Heck yeah, man! Absolutely uh, glad to work in tandem. And you know, you said your podcast, but you're you're part of this team too, brother. So we're we're happy to have you on and look forward to more episodes with you.
2: You're doing great things. Keep it up.
3: Yeah, appreciate it, Caleb. Where can we find you, man? And see a picture of that nice buck
1: he killed. You can find me at HLE underscore berserker because I'm rocking the Viking beard at the moment.
3: <coughs> I love that, man. Fantastic.
1: <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, are we
3: still plugging our own uh, Instagrams here or what? Or should we no, plug, you it? know, where can we listen to the podcast on, on, on
0: Instagram, Bobby? That's what, that's what's more important right now is we yes. need everyone to follow the hunt, lift, eat podcast page because yep. Pretty soon, they're going to have more followers than me, which I mean, I only have like 600 anyway, so it like, doesn't matter anyway. That's the page we need to follow, though. Yep. And leave us a, a nice review. You know, say how great Rob was, how awesome my <laughs> trees are, you know, things like that. Like, let us know.
3: Yeah, let us know how great Caleb's beard is, even though you can't see it. Uh, wherever listeners, you know, we appreciate the hell out of you guys, wherever you listen to this, uh, whether on Spotify or Apple or wherever the hell else people listen to podcasts. We'd really appreciate a review, so go drop us a review. Hit us up on Instagram, uh, any topics that you guys want to hear or anything that you want us to cover. We work for you guys, so let us know. Give us some feedback, and we appreciate the hell out of you guys. We'll talk to you next week.